2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're speaking today the word of God. God intends to use his word in your life. First of all, it is, the Bible is God-breathed. It's God's word. It's useful or effectual for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. So, with an end result, that the man of God, every person, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you hear the word of God, if you allow it to teach you, rebuke you, correct you, train you, you will be ready for good works. There's an outcome. Um, There's a result of hearing the word of God. In fact, you shouldn't listen to anything I say, actually, unless it's consistent, unless it comports, unless it fits with the word of God. Now, last week, as uh, Pastor Byron concluded his his sermon, and we're in a series now about uh, gifts, and we're going to return to that topic next week. Uh, he mentioned this, this verse from Romans 12. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. Interesting that grace, gifts are according to grace. Or their manifestations, their expressions of, of grace. And the, the grace, the gifts that we have by grace, we are to use in proportion to our faith. So what is grace? Uh, a common definition of grace that I'm sure you've heard before is that grace is God's unmerited favor. It's God's goodness to us that we don't deserve. And in Scripture, uh, grace is often referred to in connection with mercy. You can think of mercy as <clears throat> being spared from what we do deserve. So grace is receiving what we don't deserve. Mercy is being spared from what we do deserve. Now it begs the question, what is it that we, know, what is it that we, we deserve? You know, what would naturally come to us as a result of our lives? And the scripture is clear that, uh, that our condition is a condition of sin. Now sin is not just uh, sinful actions. But it's actually a sin nature. We are born in sin. We sin because we have a sinful nature. It's, it's the, the natural thing that we do. The scripture is also clear that because of sin, there is accountability. God is a just God. And he will evaluate our lives. And there is a day of judgment when God will look at us and there will be accountability for sin. And the scripture is also clear that Sin brings us into condemnation. In judgment, we are condemned, and God's just penalty for sin is death, being placed in hell for eternity, totally, completely, eternally separated from God. So there's a huge problem with sin because of the consequence and because God is just, and there's accountability for every sin. Christ is the solution for our sin problem. The penalty that we deserve to pay that rightfully should come to us was transferred, was placed on Christ. So when he died on the cross, his death paid for the death that we deserve to pay. 
It's a substitutional sacrifice. And it's my favorite definition of grace. You know, what, what greater expression could there possibly be of the death of Christ, God's grace to us, a penalty that he didn't deserve to pay was placed on him, my penalty, and my sins have been canceled. So that payment is now available to us, and we can accept that by faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That payment of Christ becomes ours when we accept it by faith. That's the greatest expression of grace I can think of. And it, it, it's my way of describing the magnitude of grace. How great is God's grace? Well, it's seen on the, at, at the cross. The death of Christ shows the magnitude of God's grace. <clears throat> now, any sound biblical theology should rest or, or proceed from the character of God. You should be able to connect every element of theology with God's character. So it's very interesting that uh, when God meets Moses on the mountain to give him the Ten Commandments, a fairly dramatic moment, you're going to meet God on the mountain, and uh, before he gives him the law, it says in Exodus that he, God, passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. This is like God's calling card. Uh, he describes himself and I believe that he spoke audibly. I think that Moses heard with his ears God speaking and describing to him what he was like. What an incredible experience. But the word of God is the same thing. When you open the word of God, God is speaking to you about his character and his nature. Moses had a special, a special experience, but I don't think our experience is any less special. God reveals himself in its in his word, it was spoken to Moses audibly. To us, it is written and delivered in the scripture. And God, speaking, says about himself, I am the Lord. I am compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We believe in grace because God himself is gracious. So all theology can be connected to the character of God. God is gracious and we believe in grace. Let's look further at the magnitude of the grace of God. Here's a longer, longer passage uh, from the book of Ephesians. Paul uh, kind of introduces what he's going to be talking about in his letter. And he says, Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing he says is grace to you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now, there's a lot of truth in, in that little passage here. But notice it begins with grace. Grace and peace to you. This is what Paul wanted the Ephesian Christians to have. He wanted them to have grace. <clears throat> and it came through Jesus Christ, who blessed us in the heavenly realms. We were chosen, predestined to be adopted in accordance with his pleasure and will. And then it says, to the praise of his glorious grace. Grace is something that you can praise God for. It's really good news. It's seen in the cross. It's for you, and it's something that you can get your heart into and praise God for. Praise God that he is gracious, that he extended grace to us. He selected us, placed us, adopted us. What a glorious grace. Praise him for his glorious grace. Now, note the magnitude here in the in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now, has anybody ever lavished something on you? you know, did you receive a lot of something? Or were you in a circumstance where you were overwhelmed with the magnitude of something? If you, sometimes if you uh, go to a nas- national park and see this huge thing or went to a huge party or went to a great concert or, you know, you, you th- things of great magnitude... We've probably all had that experience. Well, think about how this talks about the magnitude of God's grace. He lavished on us. It is riches in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. You can see the magnitude of grace by looking at the cross and all that was lavished on us through Jesus Christ. Well, that's good news. Now, earlier we uh, sang... Uh, the song written by John Newton. And maybe we can use a t- tiny bit of audience participation here. <laughs> what, uh, what adjective did uh, John Newton choose to use to describe grace? Amazing, you bet. <laughs> it's amazing, you know. Think about the magnitude. I believe that John Newton was a slave trader who, and he received God's forgiveness for some pretty horrible behavior. He knew the amazing grace of God in his life. It's amazing. Now, we referred to Ephesians 2, 8, 9 earlier. For by grace you've been saved through, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want you to see here that God, that grace is God's mode. It's his method. It's the way he accomplishes things. I don't think that grace so much is a thing in itself. Certainly, God's grace came to us through the forgiveness of Christ dying on the cross for us. But it's it's the way. It's kind of like the delivery system. You you might think about a river on which there is lots of barge traffic. Lots of things go up and down the river. Uh, Great amounts of of freight. It's because of the river. (laughs) It's because of the delivery system. It's because the river is transportation for all the stuff to come and go. And I think, sometimes I think about God's grace as this great delivery system, this mighty river that transports his goodness to us day after day. <clears throat> grace is God's mode, and it's used to describe how he does things. 
Uh, take a look at Genesis 21. Now, this is, of course, a story about Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Abraham has been promised to become the father of a great nation. God took him out at night and said, look at the stars. Can you count them? The answer is no. So shall your descendants be. God said that Abraham's offspring would be as great as the stars in the sky. But he had no children. (laughs) And God's promise was given, and then Abraham began to wait and wait and wait. But there was an appointed time for the delivery of God's grace. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised. God's gift to Abraham and Sarah was his gracious gift. God is gracious. Now, Abraham and Sarah were required to wait. And sometimes in receiving God's grace, we wait. And that can be a hard thing. We have a timetable. We think, now is a good time for grace. (laughs) It may be that God will ask us to wait to receive his grace. But it occurred according to God's promise. God promised grace to Sarah, and it happened at the very time God promised. Well, that's my introduction. (laughs) Now let's begin the sermon here. (laughs) Uh, We stand by grace, we live by grace, and we give by grace. In Romans 5 we read, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Paul is saying that grace is a foundation. It's what you stand in. Through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Grace allowed us to receive forgiveness and mercy. It was our salvation. It becomes our standing. It's what we rest on. It's what holds us up. Uh, music stands support my papers here today. Uh, you're, you're able to stand physically upright because of muscles in your skeletal system and nerves that communicate uh, impulses to keep you in balance. You know, we stand, we are supported by a specific structure. Or we use sometimes the word standing in terms of keeping a commitment. Um, I stand on a conviction. I'll keep my promise. Uh, spiritually, grace is our foundation. It what, it's what holds us up and allows us to stand. So we receive, our spiritual life began by receiving grace through faith. It continues in the same way. Much of the book of Galatians is Paul's warning to the Galatian believers not to, to begin with grace and then abandon it and shift into law-keeping or a performance or obedience We were established by grace. It becomes our foundation through our entire lives. We stand by grace. We also live by grace. 
grace carries us through our entire life. Sometimes grace is most evident in our lives when we, have, when we face tough circumstances. In 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul speaks about his physical condition. He had some sort of difficult physical condition, and three times he besought the Lord, take it away from me. And God didn't do it. His physical condition continued. But what God said to Paul in that moment was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This was probably not the word that Paul was hoping to hear. He probably was was hoping to hear, I'll take it away. But God's solution to Paul's physical difficulty, his suffering, was grace. My grace is sufficient. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now I believe here for Paul, the, the, the expression of God's grace was this power that in Paul's weakness was expressed. That there's something about us as human beings that in our weakness, God's power is expressed. It can be through suffering, could be through physical difficulty, could be through disappointment, could be trauma or loss, uh, pain in relationships. There's something about the way God has set things up that his grace is powerfully expressed in difficulty. For Paul, in this instance, it was physical problem. He had some kind of difficulty. I don't think the scripture specifies there are hints. Maybe it was an eye condition. Um, uh, we're not certain. But he didn't want it. But God said that my grace is sufficient. My power is, is made perfect in your weakness. Uh, when my mother died in the, at the end of May, um, I was not ready for this. I'm telling you, uh, she was in good health. She had transitioned from... Uh, uh, living by herself in a home to a retirement community. Uh, she had made a bunch of friends, uh, joined activities. Um, we had just been up to see her um, a week before she passed. And we had a sweet time. Carl uh, and Erica came up and the grandkids. It was just terrific, you know. And she held the grandkids through great-grandchildren. And it was just just a happy time. And then in four days later, she died, just, just like that, um, I was just not ready for that. I'm, I guess I'm still not ready <laughs> at this moment here. But it, it has forced me to think, how is God's grace sufficient in the difficulties I face? How is his power expressed and demonstrated when I face tough stuff? Well, <clears throat> in preparing for her uh, memorial service, uh, I read through some of her Bible study notes. She would scribble little notes on a piece of paper. And uh, place them in her Bible. And I had a chance to read some of these. And it was very encouraging that for her, Christ was her life. Uh, one of them I read said, Give me Jesus that was sweet for me to see that that she trusted God and God's power made a difference in her life. And uh, that was a comfort for me. It's God's power that makes the difference. 
I wasn't re- didn't feel ready or prepared, and I, it was an unwelcome thing to face. But it, I was surprised how God touched me through those readings and notes that my mother had left. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, there's a flip side to this. If you don't take God's grace, you're left with your weakness. You're left with your infirmity, your self-dependence, your independence. And that's not a good place to be. Would you rather have God's unlimited power or rely on your own weakness? I recommend God's unlimited power. But it's re- it comes to you by receiving his grace. It's often very evident when we face difficulties. We also give by grace. If we understand the magnitude of what God has done for us in that grace that comes to us, if that becomes a foundation for our lives and we stand on it, then we're in a position to give it. Now, I've said that grace, I don't think, is a specific thing. If you think about, uh, like, for example, works of the Spirit from Ephesians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Where's grace in the list? You know, what happened to grace here? Um, Grace is expressed in many ways. I think those fruits of the Spirit are expressions of grace. One specific way that grace is often, that we often give grace is by our words. Um, Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It almost speaks like, it speaks as if our words are something that someone's going to eat. You'd rather eat food that's flavorful, that's savory, that tastes good. (laughs) Seasoned just right. I think some of the things that we give to others are often the words that we speak. Here in Colossians, we're urged, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Much of our giving has to do with our words. When I uh, visited uh, Jason and Lindsay York in the Dominican Republic, Debbie and I went down there in, the, in early 2013. And uh, they were ministering at the time uh, with Students International in the Harbacoa region of the Dominican Republic. It's a kind of a central highlands area. And um, we kind of went through uh, some of their normal activities. So one day Jason says to me, uh, come with me tomorrow morning. Um, it's time for uh, Bible study with the staff. And I said, fine. And he said, by the way, we're going to go early. We're going to cook them breakfast. So I said, fine. So we rolled out early and scrambled eggs and warm tortillas, and we had um, egg tortilla breakfast <laughs> for the staff. Now, the staff he was speaking about were not the missionary staff. These staff were the hired workers from the neighborhood who would come into the, the mission base, they would cut the grass, take out the garbage, cook the food, wash the dishes, answer the phone, sweep the floor. And uh, it began to dawn on me that, that Jason placed great emphasis on meeting the needs of the least of these. The, the, these, 
This was not a meeting for the professional missionary staff, the North Americans. These were Dominicans who were hired to do menial work at the, at the base. It, it really instructed me how Jason's attitude, being gracious, and he didn't have to do that. I mean, his mission was to help administrate this whole program and organize teams and uh, support the, the, the professional missionaries, but he took time out to minister to the needs of the little guys. He even cooked them breakfast. <laughs> How about that, you know? Interesting role. You know, they were hired to cook for us, but he cooked for them. What a neat example. And then he spent time teaching them the Bible, too. It was so instructive. And they ate up the breakfast, and they ate up the Word of God as, as a result. It was, it was a neat experience. Jason taught me how to give by grace. So uh, what do we do with this? I think it's good to um, digest some of this and uh, ask ourselves some questions. And we'll dig into this deeper uh, during connection time as well. Are we receivers of grace only or are we givers? Have we been impacted by the magnitude of God's grace that we see on the cross? Has this gripped us? Are we changed by God's grace to the point that we become givers? God gave us, for by grace you've been saved through faith. God gave to us by grace Jesus Christ. Has that turned us into givers? Are we eager to pass on what we received? What about our reputation? Are we known as gracious people? Would that be a, a word that would come to mind if uh, someone thought about you? Are you gracious? We've said that uh, it's often evidenced by uh, what we say. Is your speech gracious, seasoned with salt? Is our standing on grace passive or active? Does it move us? Does God's grace trigger our action? Or are we just kind of going along? Are we just resting? There's a time to rest in God's grace, but God's grace pushes us into action. What about our peace? Um, Paul points out that having established a, a foundation of grace... Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. The way we encounter or respond to suffering indicates our foundation and indicates the depth of our experience in the grace of God. Do we have peace? Now, I would say that I'm not entirely peaceful about my mom passing. <laughs> you know, that's, I can't claim that here. But God's power in my weakness can produce peace. And certainly, just after she passed, reading her Bible study notes was a great reassurance to me. Let your self-assessment of the peace in your life indicate you the depth of your experience of the grace of God. Let that be an indicator to you. Now, let's 
speak a little, just briefly about this joy and suffering business. Um, what kind of joy is God talking about here? I don't think it's a giddy happiness. I don't think it's knee-slapping telling a joke. I think that there's a, an assurance about the presence of God in your life that is very reassuring. And, and it can become a joy when you see it overwhelm your suffering. When God's assurance and the faithfulness to his promises is greater than your circumstance, that there's a joy, and it's kind of the joy of reassurance. God's greatness, his power, is greater than your circumstances and your suffering. I felt emotionally low at times. It kind of varies after my mom passing. But God's presence is there. I'm reading a book by uh, Tillian Chavijan. That's probably not how you spell his last name. <laughs> Called Glorious Ruin. And, and it's, it's quite an exposition about suffering and uh, grief. <clears throat> and uh, one of his main points is that God meets you in the suffering. He may deliver you out or he may not, but he will definitely take you through the suffering. His presence will take you through. And th th that has been helpful to me dealing with this loss. Rather than trying to sugarcoat this and say, well, God will make it for good or there'll be a good outcome or there'll be a silver lining. You know, what about the pain? What about the feeling of loss? What about the trauma? Well, if God is in it with you, you can face it without playing games with it, without giving it a... a and I'm telling you, if you pretend that you're, you're feeling great when you're feeling lousy, it ain't you. <laughs> in fact, dissonance is, by, by some people's definition, the very definition of mental illness. <laughs> Acting one way and feeling something totally different. There's a wholeness in suffering that God gives people because he's present with us. And uh, to me, that's been a, a great gift and a great gift. Lastly, I thought of a metaphor. Um, we have an oak tree in my backyard, and um, I almost like bought the house because of the oak tree. <laughs> um, but uh, after I bought it, I began to look at it, and this poor oak tree is so beat up. <laughs> it, it leans over. I don't know what did that to it. Now, it seems well... It's not falling over, but it's leaning. And there are giant injuries that have been healed over. Um, it's got these ugly bumps all over the place. It's got a big crack down the back where it was hit by lightning. <laughs> we had to have a third of it cut off because the lightning killed half, uh, a third of the tree. But it's still standing. It's still standing upright. And, and this kind of came to me as a metaphor for grace. If our standing is solidly on grace... We may have some tough deals. We may have some ugly scars that get healed over. We may get hit by lightning, and a third of us gets cut off. That's, who wants that? But God is present, and his power is made perfect in our weakness. Well, I hope that uh, you can take this as an encouragement to stand by grace, to uh, live by grace, and to give by grace. And we can dig into this a little further during connection time. Let me pray for us here. And the worship team, would you please come up?